On January 20th, 2017, Donald Trump was sworn in as our 45th president. The customary inauguration parade followed, which included the United States Army 3rd Infantry Regiment Fife and Drum Corps, dressed in red and white uniforms patterned after musicians from George Washington's Continental Army. 69 members with fifes, drums, and bugles marched in outstanding uniformity and rhythm. And it was really cool when they passed the president, vice president, and their wives on the Capitol steps, they marched their signature troop step. With fifes playing, they marched at a slow pace, snapping out their legs and pointing their toes first and then landing toes uh, on the ground. And in the lead, carrying an 18th century officer's weapon called a spontoon was the drum major. The drum major keeps the pace. His step is their step. His tempo is their tempo. His example is their example to follow. When they're in step, it looks stately and it looks dignified. It would be shameful for a few of the core members to start the electric slide. That would be absolutely absurd. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul used a term for marching in military rank and line. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's beautiful when God's people keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit tells us where to go, when, or where to step, when to step, how to step. It's, it's really a supernatural and beautiful march. If you belong to Christ, then you must keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit moves in God's flawless rhythm, beauty, and grace, and sometimes we believers up and start the electric slide during the glorious march. So the point this morning is quite basic. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I hope to help you understand how. Let's start here. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Paul wanted the Galatians to practice their freedom in Christ, not only in their personal lives, but also in their churches. We know what walking is, but figuratively, walking is to live a certain lifestyle. To walk by the Spirit is to live a Spirit-led lifestyle, to live every day by the truth and pace and power of the Spirit, to live by means of the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is your pace, is your power. Here's how I think walking by the Spirit looks. First, you must have the Spirit of Jesus living in you. As God's beloved adopted children, the Spirit is God's precious gift to you to help you grow in faith and holiness. Second, when you have the Spirit in you, working in you, He is your pace or your rhythm of life. Through Scripture and prayer, the Spirit instructs you where to step, when to step, how to step. When you walk by the Spirit, you submit to the teaching and the guidance of the Spirit in Scripture. Through prayer and obedience, the Spirit helps you apply the law and gospel to your life. And the Father and the Son sent the Spirit to guide and help you in life. Third, to walk by the Spirit is to receive the power of the Spirit. 
through faith. As you trust Christ, the, the Spirit empowers and energizes you to imitate Christ. To walk by the Spirit is to depend on the Spirit for a lifestyle which pleases your Father. So you will not walk by the Spirit apart from the truth of Scripture applied powerfully and effectually in your life. God's Word, which happens to be breathed out by the Spirit, is the truth that the Spirit uses to keep you in His step. It's like eating regular meals. We need to feast on God's truth through preaching, teaching, and studying. Starve yourself, and you will not walk by the Spirit. You'll grow anemic and pass out and not be able to finish the race. The Spirit leads through Scripture, His supernatural counsel. I think that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Next, what does it mean to gratify the desires of the flesh? In opposition to the false teachers, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, in Scripture, flesh means different things, humanness or the physical body, or as it is here in verse 16, the sinful human nature, uh, those, those carnal urges that we have. To gratify the desires of the flesh is to indulge those carnal urges. Everyone has carnal urges, even believers. In this life, while you're still in the flesh, you will continually feel the pull of your flesh enticing you to do bad things. The, the difference, though, between believers and unbelievers is not that, that, that we have carnal urges, but rather the Spirit's pace and the Spirit's power. Believers have the Spirit working in them. Unbelievers do not. And that's a huge, huge difference. When we walk by faith in the Spirit, dear brothers and sisters, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul used a double negative to emphasize certainty and confidence. It's like he said, we will not not gratify the desires of the flesh. No, we won't. We absolutely will not. Not when we walk by the Spirit. Instead, we will live a life that is pleasing to our Father. Never perfectly in this life, but faithfully. Faithfully. So then, what are the works of the flesh? Not good things. Not good things. Our flesh pushes us to do some bad stuff. And verses 19 through 21 explain what bad stuff looks like. Paul says that the works of the flesh are evident. And so that means they're easy to spot. They're easy to tell. You can see them. They're right there. Even atheists and agnostics who reject the moral lawgiver feel offended when their spouse cheats on them or they're robbed. God's moral law is absolute. And when it is broken, it's easy to spot. It's easy to detect. Now, Paul's list of vices here isn't exhaustive but it gives a clear expression of what it looks like practically to break the Ten Commandments or to not love God and others, a neighbor. This list explains what slavery to the flesh uh, looks like practically. Brothers and sisters, Christ was crucified in order to set you free from these things. Redemption in Christ has set you free to deny these things and to live a, couple, a different life. 
a totally different kind of life. And sadly, our society and our culture pursue these vices to their own peril. And shockingly, even some churches not only tolerate but encourage these vices. Churches in Lancaster County and, yes, churches even here in Mannheim. I'll quickly run through them. Number one, sexual immorality. This is a very relevant one today. Sexual immorality is general sexual sin or anything outside of sex between one man and one woman inside of the covenant of marriage. Could be fornication, prostitution, adultery, pedophilia, homosexuality, incest, cohabitation, and more. Number two, impurity is moral filthiness. Number three, sensuality is lewdness. We could call it reckless and prodigal living. Living to satisfy the appetites of the flesh without self-denial. Sensuality happens to often be sexual. Number four, idolatry is to serve or worship idols. In Colossians 3, 5, Paul calls covetousness idolatry. So idolatry is valuing or serving anything above God, from Buddha statues to children to careers. Five, sorcery is witchcraft or black magic or the occult. Potions were, were mixed up in order to poison people. Uh, today, this would certainly include abortion, euthanasia, horoscopes, fortune tellers, palm readers, mediums, voodoo, wicca. It's all carnal. Six, enmity is hostility and antagonism. The Galatians were, they were biting and devouring each other in the churches in part because of enmity. Paul says in Romans 8, 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile, same word, to God. Number seven, strife is quarreling and backbiting, and that too seemed to be a big problem within the Galatian churches. Number eight, jealousy is zeal for another. It's like saying, you are my rival and I resent you because you are successful. Number nine, fits of anger are acts of fury and outbursts of rage. They happen on the road. And when coaches argue with umpires. Number 10, rivalries. This is good competition gone bad. There's selfish ambitions driving people to achieve at all costs, including trampling down other people. All major sports and corporate America thrive on this sin. 11, dissensions are strong disagreements or discord. 12, divisions. Now, this is a, an interesting Greek word. Heresies from which we get our English word heresy. This was very relevant to the Galatian churches. It's a clique within the church which breaks from orthodox doctrine. The Judaizers had divided from God's law and gospel by emphasizing observance to the Mosaic law. They divided and they taught heresy. 13, envy is ill will because of another's success or possessions. Envy is covetousness. Even at the heart of envy is idolatry. Consumerism in America runs on envy, does it not? Number 14, drunkenness is allowing your mind to be dulled by alcohol. Our minds should be lucid, razor sharp, and set on the spirit, so obviously drunkenness is completely carnal. 15, orgies. An orgy is a wild party. 
of excessive eating and drinking with wild singing and dancing. Orgies are complete moral debauchery and they include sexual immorality. So just think frat party. That's the idea. Then Paul adds in verse 21, and things like these. This list is only the beginning, but it gives a picture of what it's like to break God's moral law. And yes, sometimes Christians do these things. Christians sometimes succumb to the flesh, but because the Spirit is working in them, they don't accept it. They fight their flesh. They have victories. They make progress. So Paul is not advocating defeatism or despair. He's giving hope in the pace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Saints, we don't want to do these things because we know where they end. Separation from the Father we love. Where does living to gratify the desires of the flesh get you? Plain and simple, if we pursue these vices, we will end up in hell. Look at verse 21 again. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is warning the church again. Again. If they choose to pursue this kind of lifestyle, they will not go to heaven. Now, I want you to zero in on the phrase, do such things. That can be a confusing phrase. Uh, Don't even believers sometimes do such things as, as these? And this takes very careful thinking. Please stay with me on this. Another way to say this would be those who practice such things. Paul uses a present active participle referring to people who currently and regularly pursue and practice these things. I don't think he means isolated, infrequent, and uh, remorseful occurrences of these things. Paul is talking about habitual or routine performance. Think regular behavior pattern that's almost involuntary. Paul expresses the same idea in Romans 8.13. Listen to this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God are those who live to gratify the flesh and not those who struggle against the flesh and ever strive to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to walk by the Spirit. Big difference there. So, please listen, dear saints. If you aggressively wage war against the desires and works of the flesh, you can be comforted and assured that the Spirit is working in you and that you belong to Christ. Otherwise, there would be no no war in you. This verse is not meant to create doubt or anxiety in God's adopted children as they wage war against the flesh by the Spirit. Neither is this verse meant to comfort hypocrites in their self-justification. 
Well, it's not like I do it all the time. I mean, lighten up once in a while here and there. That's not going to keep me out of heaven. My God is a forgiving God. Wrong thinking. Completely wrong thinking. That's thinking like a slave, not a free person. Paul's warning is meant to afflict and distress legalists and antinomians at the same time. It's meant to lovingly remind God's children of the seriousness of sin and the horrific consequences of it and to intensify their confidence in the merits of Christ who is their righteousness. So be clear about this. Anyone who does not walk by the Spirit and wage war against the flesh and have victories, but instead chooses to habitually indulge the flesh, showing no true change or progress, will not go to heaven no matter what they say, no matter what confession of Christ they may have. Faith equals justification plus works. Good works must follow justification. Because spirit-empowered and increasing obedience to God's law is evidence of true faith and justification. People who live to gratify their flesh, they don't know God. Because if they did, they would express their love for God in grateful and glad, and here's an important one, growing obedience. Martin Luther said something very helpful about this. He said this, This is a very hard and terrible saying, but yet very necessary against false Christians and careless hypocrites who boast of the gospel, of faith, and of the spirit, and yet perform the works of the flesh. Therefore, it was most needful that this awful sentence should be pronounced that some of them, being terrified, may begin to fight against the works of the flesh by the Spirit that they accomplish not the same. End of quote. Warning someone, calling someone to repentance is not divisive or arrogant or hateful. It's an expression of true love. A warning just might wake the person up to the fight against the flesh which is trying to drag them to hell. There there is hope and joy in Christ and the pace and the power of the Spirit. So warning people about the works of the flesh and where they end is, is loving. It promotes their inheriting the kingdom of God. Spirit-filled people understand this. Spirit-filled people understand what Paul is getting at, what he's trying to say here. The, and, and this, uh, dear friends, could be a wake-up call that some of you need to hear to get you fighting towards the kingdom because you're not fighting. Now, I really want to zero in on you saints, you beloved brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, there is a spiritual war within you. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Saints, your sinful nature desires bad stuff which is contrary to the spirit in you. The spirit in you desires good stuff 
contrary to your sinful human nature. So your flesh is still enticing you to do some really bad stuff, and yet the Spirit is working in you to hearten you to do good stuff, and therein is the conflict, therein is the battle, therein is the war. Don't you feel that war every day, brothers and sisters? Every day. The war is evidence of your true faith and salvation. If there is no war in you, if there is no advance on the battlefield, you're still enslaved to your sin, living to gratify the flesh, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God until you embrace Christ. Martin Luther described true Christians like this. I think it's so helpful. In respect of the flesh, then, we are sinners. But in respect of the Spirit, we are righteous. Yea, our righteousness is much more plentiful than our sin because the holiness and righteousness of Christ our mediator doth far exceed the sin of the whole world and the forgiveness of sins which we have through him is so great, so infinite that it easily swalloweth up all sins so that we walk according to the Spirit. End of quote. Man, I wish I wrote that. That is so good, Luther, you genius. You spirit-filled genius. See, I'll give glory to God. Saints, you are still sinners in the flesh, but you are righteous in Christ, and the Spirit is working in you to kill sin and to conform you to Christ. And that is who you really are. Paul himself felt this war. Just read Romans 7. So next, brothers and sisters, you want to live free in obedience to your Father. This is crucial. Finish verse 17. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh is trying to stop you from doing the things you want to do. And you really want to live like Jesus, to imitate Jesus, to be like Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to keep in step with the Spirit? Do you want to kill the desires and the works of the flesh? Do you want to live to God? If so, you are an adopted and free child of God who has the Spirit working in you. And the true you wants to live free in obedience to your Father. But man, oh man, is it ever difficult for you and for me. Because you and I are still fighting the flesh. The war's not over. See, you have to know who you belong to and what you really want to do because then, by the Spirit, you'll be encouraged to keep in step with the Spirit. You won't lose heart. I just have to keep in step with the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, you belong to Christ. You belong to Christ, and because you do, you want to live to God. But you're still in your sinful flesh, so there's this big struggle, this big war, this big battle within you. So keep striving, keep working, keep moving ahead, keep marching to do what you really want to do, live free like Jesus. Dear ones, sin has not been completely eradicated from your lives yet. It does grab at you and it tries to tackle you as you're trying to run ahead. Uh, but you belong to Christ now, you're not a slave anymore. You belong to Christ now. You march with his pace. You march with his power. 
You want what he wants. So never stop fighting the flesh. Stab it. Starve it. Slay it. Till your great king returns and finishes the war. Your final victory, dear brothers and sisters, is almost here. So keep fighting the flesh. Next, brothers and sisters, you are led by the Spirit and are truly free. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Brothers and sisters, this means that as the Spirit leads you, you are truly free from the condemnation and the curse and the bondage of the law of sin and death. Now you are under grace, being led by the gracious pace and power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine a beautiful thoroughbred black stallion with a sleek bridle. And the reins of the stallion are in the strong but very gentle hands of the trainer. And the trainer leads the stallion where it needs to go, maybe from the stable to the racetrack to run fast and free. Not free to run reckless and uninhibited by the trainer's training, but to run free within the trainer's training to win the cup. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, explained this quite eloquently. What is God's law now? It is not above a Christian. It is under a Christian. Some men hold God's law like a rod in terror over Christians and say, if you sin, you will be punished with it. It is not so. The law is under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, his pattern. We are not under the law, but under grace. Law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, not the spirit which actuates us. The law is good and excellent if it keep its place. That's eloquently helpful. Law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, and it is on the road of the law that the spirit leads us being led by the Spirit on the road of the law in joyful obedience to God is how we walk by the Spirit. No one is truly free who lives to satisfy the desires and the works of the flesh. They are a slave. Only the free follow the Spirit on the road of righteousness. How do we walk by the Spirit? We go where the Spirit leads us. We, we know where the Spirit is leading because we immerse ourselves in Scripture so that we can truly say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I think a lot of Christians have no idea where to go because they're so ignorant of Scripture. We need to know where the Spirit is leading. We need the word of God. It should be precious to you. You should read it on your own. You should study it. God's law and gospel in Scripture show us the way that the Spirit is leading us on. So, follow the Spirit's pace and power. I've been looking forward to verses 22 and 23 for a while now. So next point, brothers and sisters, the Spirit has produced fruit, is producing fruit, and will produce fruit in your life. Verses 22 and 23 are so exciting. Very, very exciting. When someone, and you might ask yourself, why all the justification by faith? We, we can't get here without justification by faith. It was very necessary that Paul did all of that theological work to get us here. 
We need justification by faith. When someone is justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the fruit of these virtues begin to grow in their lives because they are now attached to the vine, Jesus Christ. Verses 22 and 23 are not only possible for believers, they're inevitable for believers. Do you understand that? It's, it's, it's what we are. It's what we become. Paul doesn't say, but the works of the Spirit are, not works, fruit. The, the Spirit cultivates our hearts and grows these delicious fruits in our lives. My dad has a peach tree in his backyard, and uh, he sprays and prunes and, and uh, props it with great care and with great attention. And friends, when those peaches grow uh, to harvest, they are big, juicy, delicious peaches. My dad knows what he's doing. And I get excited for my dad to share those peaches with me. Is that selfish? I want him to give me bushels of them. I mean, they are wonderful, and, and so it is when the Spirit grows the delicious fruit of verses 22 and 23 in your life so that you can enjoy them and so that you share them with others. You share them with others. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's some delicious fruit. That's some sweet fruit for you to enjoy in your life and for you to share with others so they get the sweetness of the Spirit at work in you. Fruit is singular. Singular. All the virtues and more are the fruit. Against this fruit there is no law. Folks, this fruit is what God's law is all about. Jesus summarized God's law as love God and love others. And if this fruit is grown in your life and you share it with others, you will be loving God and loving others. Someone who gratifies the flesh is hating God and hating others. We see that all around. And they get applauded for being the ones who love. Not so. They're hating. They're hating God and they're hating others. In pure ignorance... And willful disobedience to God. So, someone who gratifies the flesh is not getting the, the sweet taste of these delicious fruits. And others aren't enjoying these fruits in their life because they don't have them. Verses 22 and 23 are not an exhaustive list of virtues, but a foundational one. A foundational one. Notice how different these virtues are from the vices lifted, uh, listed back in verses 19 and 21. They're drastically different lifestyles. Man, when we have the stuff in the first list, it's so painful. When we have the stuff in the second list, it's so amazing. Two drastically different lifestyles, and the Spirit is what makes all the difference. Not, I'm better than them, they're better than them. No, no, the Spirit makes all the difference. Who practices these virtues? One person. Please don't miss this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the perfection of all of these virtues and more. His life is filled with this fruit. Jesus walked by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus kept in step with the Spirit. Jesus Christ perfectly demonstrates walking by the Spirit. He never indulged in the desires of the flesh. He never did the works of the flesh, not once. And in justification, Jesus is your righteousness. 
And in sanctification, Jesus is your pace and your power to righteousness. He is the vine. Saints, you are the branches. Jesus has grown, is growing, and will grow all this fruit in you through faith and spirit-produced effort. That's right. I said effort. Hard, stinking work. Because though no effort of yours contributes in any way to your justification, your effort is the inevitable response of your justification and the Spirit's sanctifying work in you. The Spirit is working to make you like Jesus as you keep in step with the Spirit by faith. It's called sanctification. And sanctification is faith-filled effort. The Spirit works. You work together. In step, Tim Nichols, dear brother, love him deeply, sent me an awesome quote. Keep the quotes coming. From Petrus Dathanus. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, a 16th century Dutch Reformed theologian. In his book, Pearl of Christian Comfort, Dathanus wrote this. Christ gives to his own all that Moses demands from his own. Christ gives to his own all that Moses demands of his own. Do you understand what that means? God's law demands perfection in all these virtues and more. And where you have failed, Christ is the perfection of all of them. When you trust Christ alone for salvation, all of his virtue counts as if it was your virtue. As if you did it all right. Justification by faith alone. The imputed righteousness of Christ through faith alone. It belongs to you as a gift. But even more, even more. The same spirit that grew this delicious fruit in Jesus is now growing the fruit in you. Sanctification by faith-filled effort. You are counted righteous in Christ and now the spirit is working in your heart, in your mind, in your will and actions to produce in you what the law demands of you. It's a process, but it's happening. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit is growing these things in your heart, growing these things in your mind, growing these things in your will, and growing these things in your life. As you keep in step with the Spirit, you are striving by the Spirit to These things. The fruit of the Spirit is the pace of the Spirit, and we have the power of the Spirit to keep pace. The desires of your flesh, brothers and sisters, they're wickedly strong. Amen? I mean, they're really strong in my life. They're very, very, very strong, and yet, look at what the Spirit did for Jesus. Look at his life. Are you weak? Are you disheartened? Have you lost hope? Brothers and sisters, the same spirit by which Christ walked and was led and kept in step with is in you conforming you to the image of Christ. So the next point is incredible. Brothers and sisters, you belong to Christ and have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
earlier? Isn't it interesting that Paul told them, you have been crucified with Christ. That's passive. It happened to them. God saved them by putting them to death with Christ. Now Paul puts the Galatians in the active. They are the ones doing the crucifying. Dr. Timothy George notes, crucifixion of the flesh is described here not as something done to us, but rather something done by us. Believers themselves are the agents of this crucifixion. Paul was here describing the process of mortification, the daily putting to death of the flesh through the disciplines of prayer, fasting, repentance, and self-control. End of quote. If you truly belong to Christ, then you're not in partnership with the flesh. You're an assassin of the flesh. When it lunges, you put another bullet into it. You don't try to resuscitate it, you try to kill it. Knife, not defibrillator. Starve your flesh to death. Don't feed it. Too many people are feeding the flesh and it grows and it rises up and it eats them. It consumes them. John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. To walk by the Spirit is to drive the nails deeper and deeper into the dead and dying desires and works of the flesh. Calvin rightly said, if we are buried with Christ by true self-denial and by the destruction of the old man, we shall then enjoy the privilege of the sons of God. The flesh is not yet indeed entirely destroyed, but it has no right to exercise dominion and ought to yield to the Spirit. Your flesh ought to yield to the Spirit because you now belong to Christ, your Master. Your flesh must yield, not your Spirit. Read Heidelberg's, uh, Heidelberg Questions 88 through 91. Read it. It'll encourage you. To kill sin is to grieve our sin which offends God. To hate our sin and to flee from sin. To walk by the Spirit is to possess a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and to love and delight in God so much that we actually live for Him. If you are truly a Christian, you will live to crucify your flesh in order to live free to God. It will happen if you're really a Christian. And why? Because you want to. The desire's there. God puts that desire in you. You want to. It's not a burden. God has supplied you with what you need to do it, dear brothers and sisters. So I'll end with this. Brothers and sisters, you live by the Spirit. Therefore, keep in step with the Spirit by killing sin and living to righteousness. Think about this, as Christ upholds the universe with the word of his power, he is also upholding your physical life. He's keeping you physically alive, but he's also giving you spiritual life. You are alive by the Spirit. You are alive to imitate Jesus. He fought temptation. He'll help you fight temptation. He lived to righteousness. He'll help you live to righteousness. He kept in step with the Spirit. He'll help you keep in step with the Spirit. So then, as Spirit-led believers, the, the Galatians were not to be conceited, nor to provoke one another, nor to envy one another. That would be ridiculous, electric slide. 
I love the electric slide, by the way. But it would be ridiculous if we're trying to march the troop step. Instead, the Galatians were to share the spiritual fruit grown in their lives. I think 1 Peter 2.24 summarizes um, the point pretty well. Peter says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Isn't that the point? Christ gave his life on the cross so that you could live. But you know, he also gave his life so that you could die. Every day, die. Take up your cross and die. Murder the flesh. Murder your desires of the flesh. He died so you could die. So you could live. Do you understand these things? He was crucified so you could crucify the flesh. Walk by the spirit that God gave you and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. Father, thank you for the precious gift of the spirit who is alive and well in people here at Jerusalem Church. Oh, how precious it is when your people march in lockstep with the Spirit. It's beautiful. It's delicious. We love to see love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest in our brothers and sisters. It's so attractive. It's so fun to be around. We just want to be a community of people who do that. And yet, as your word instructs us, God, there are people in our midst who do not have the Spirit. They are not walking by the Spirit. They don't belong to you. They're just playing the game of religion. They are the wheat among, I'm sorry, they are the tares among the wheat. And one day it'll all become clear who belongs to you. So I pray, God, for your dear saints, your beloved children, that they would walk in step with the Spirit. Give them exactly what they need. Give them hope this morning. Give them power this morning. Give them pace this morning. Give them truth this morning. Help them to walk out of here so uplifted that the Spirit is going to help them this week. And anyone who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't have the Spirit, who is walking in the darkness, afflict them. Make them very uneasy. I pray they have no sleep until they come to Christ. God, I beg of you to, by your spirit, land the gospel in the unbelievers in our midst. May they come to Christ and find themselves loved and accepted by God to walk a new kind of life, one of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, God, please, for your glory and for the good of of our friends who don't know you, pull them by your grace to the cross where they can find themselves loved and accepted by grace through faith. May this message afflict them and cause distress on their soul that they may run to Christ by the Spirit. Please, God, please. And let us take this gospel to the nations starting with Mannheim. And may people know the joy of the Lord, know the love of you, God, know what it's like to be united to Christ, all because they heard the gospel preached fairly and accurately, and they responded by faith. Do it for your glory, God. 
In Jesus' name, amen.